The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Welcome to the show today. Uh, the Cancer Support Community is excited to launch the sixth edition of Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer, the newest book and program in our Frankly Speaking About Cancer educational series that really provides an in depth look into a variety of concerns that cancer patients and their loved ones face following a diagnosis. The uh, Frankly Speaking program includes um, an educational book, professionally led workshops, and also online information uh, and content. So to kick off the launch, we're focusing today's show on the topic of lung cancer and highlighting many of the features and topics that are uh, in the updated uh, program and and book, which is now available uh, free of charge to either download or you can order on CSC's website at Cancer Support community.org. So if you'd like a free copy of this new booklet, please do visit our website, and we're happy to get that right out in the mail to you. Uh, our show today is sponsored in part by Azi, Genentech, Lexus, and uh, Morphotech, and we're uh, bringing leaders from the lung cancer community to cover this topic. We're starting with, you know, what lung cancer is. We're going to talk about prevention. We're going to talk about screening and also some of the latest treatments and treatment options. Uh, there have been certainly some advances in the treatment of the disease. We'll hear about, hear about many of them from our experts today. We'll also talk about the social and emotional considerations of a lung cancer diagnosis and help combat the stigma and myths surrounding this disease. So joining us on the show today is Dr. Nasser Hanna. Dr. Hanna is a medical oncologist at Indiana University with a focus on lung cancer research and a special interest in tobacco education. At IU, Dr. Hanna maintains a practice and also teaches medical students and residents. Uh, He is co-founder of Cancer Free Lungs, which has raised money and awareness about lung cancer and also developed a tobacco education program program for kids. Welcome, Dr. Hanna. Thank you. Also with us today is Maureen Rigney, the Director of Community and Support Services at the Lung Cancer Alliance, a partner of the Cancer Support Community. Maureen oversees uh, the Lung Cancer Alliance's portfolio of support and outreach services and is also a licensed clinical social worker. Thanks for being with us, Maureen. Thank you. Happy to be here. So uh, 
we, you know, we, we've heard a lot of the kind of startling and, and sometimes scary statistics about lung cancer, which is the leading cancer killer in America today. Uh, according to the American Cancer Society, more people die of lung cancer than of colon, breast, and prostate cancers combined. Uh, this accounts for about 28% of all cancer deaths. This year, it's estimated that about 226,000 or more new cases of lung cancer will be diagnosed. So we're talking about huge numbers here. Uh, since we've got a lot to cover, I want to jump in with our guests. Um, Dr. Hannah, I want to start with you. Um, I'd like to start by breaking down a lung cancer diagnosis. I mean, let's get to the basics here. We often hear that there are different types uh, of, of lung cancer. What, what are those types, and, and how does that impact you know, patient care, your treatment plan, those kinds of things? Sure. So uh, generally, there are two categories of lung cancer, uh, what we call small cell lung cancer and non-small cell Within the category of non-small cell lung cancer, there are a few subtypes. The most common is called an adenocarcinoma. The second most common is called a squamous cell cancer. And then there's something called a large cell cancer. And knowing which of the four subtypes that you have is very important because each of those subtypes is treated differently. Uh, the um, adenocarcinoma, for instance, may have certain molecular mutations that need to be checked for uh, that would predict response to a variety of different drugs. Uh, the squamous cell cancer, for instance, um, uh, usually doesn't respond to certain drugs that the adenocarcinomas respond to. And knowing that somebody has a small cell lung cancer usually removes surgery from the equation, uh, even if the disease appears confined to the chest. So knowing what type of cancer you have is very important with respect to subsequent care. Okay, so so that gives us some of the basics for folks to understand, yes, there are different types of lung cancers. Depending upon the kind of lung cancer that you have, it is going to dramatically inform your, your treatment plan, whether you qualify for surgery, what types of chemo and other treatments that you may have. So, Dr. Hannah, in terms of diagnosing someone with lung cancer, um, how is someone diagnosed with lung cancer? Um, w- where are we as a nation in terms of, of you know, of lung cancer um, screening, and how does some of that... You know, how, how through that testing do we determine what type of lung cancer the person has? Sure. So the diagnosis of lung cancer is uh, made based upon the location of the disease in the chest. If the cancer is more peripherally located in the lung, the most common way to diagnose it is with a biopsy that's guided with the use of a CT scanner. If the tumor is more centrally located near one of the main airways, the more common way to diagnose it would be a bronchoscopy, which is a scope that's placed down into the airway. We do have more sophisticated tools now to diagnose lung cancer. For instance, if the tumor is not right next to the airway, but just a little bit peripheral from that, There is a procedure called an endoscopic bronchial ultrasound uh, that can oftentimes find the location of that tumor, and then the pulmonologist can do a biopsy. It is important, though, to get a good biopsy. It used to be in years past that perhaps if you got a few cells to document that it was lung cancer, that was sufficient. But nowadays, because we do need to know the specific subtype of lung cancer that you have, and if it's an adenocarcinoma, we oftentimes need enough tissue to do molecular testing. We now need a pretty good biopsy, either several small biopsies or one large biopsy. 
Now, in terms of where we are with lung cancer screening, that's such an important issue because one of the challenges with lung cancer is that early stage disease does not usually cause symptoms. And so the majority of people who are diagnosed with lung cancer oftentimes already have very advanced cancer uh, to a point where it's not curable. So the question is, can we find the disease earlier intervene, and then cure more patients. There was an important screening trial that was conducted by the National Institutes of Health that looked at 50,000 individuals that were considered high risk for lung cancer. They didn't have a diagnosis of lung cancer, but they were high risk. They were generally older individuals with heavy smoking histories or other occupational risks that would put them at risk for lung cancer. They were randomized to either get an annual chest X-ray for three years or to get an annual CT scan for three years. It turned out that the group, without any symptoms and without any diagnosis of lung cancer, who got the annual CT scans were, first of all, more likely to come up with a diagnosis of lung cancer, secondly, more likely to get treated for lung cancer, thirdly, more likely to be found at an earlier stage, and fourthly, were more likely to be cured. It is estimated that there is about a 20% reduction in deaths for the group that received CT screening. So the long and short of it is, is that there is now evidence-based medicine that screening high-risk groups can save lives. There are lots of challenges with screening programs, and they have to be conducted responsibly and comprehensively, but at least now we have some insight into how we can reduce the death rate from lung cancer. All right, I have a couple of follow-up questions on that, but let me pull Maureen into the conversation because we're quickly getting to our, our first break here. But, but um, Maureen, what, what are the questions that someone should ask the healthcare team to make sure that they are, you know, receiving an accurate diagnosis um, and get, you know, getting the information that they need if they feel like they are having some symptoms and, and um, you know, want, want to get some of these symptoms checked out? Well, sure. Well, certainly um, going through the process of being diagnosed with lung cancer is, is really, it really is a process and there are many steps in the process. It can be very overwhelming for, for folks um, and it really is like learning a foreign language. You have to learn the, the language of cancer and that starts with um, diagnosis. And so as people are going through the, the diagnostic process, the most important thing to remember is that they really are part of the team and that they should be asking questions to make sure that they understand. Uh, on our uh, toll-free information line, we talk to people all the time who aren't really sure what the tests that they're going through, what, what the purpose of the tests are. And so we encourage them to find out more information from, from the, the treatment team. And even after diagnosis, uh, people don't um, often know that there's more than one type of cancer, let alone the kind that they've been um, diagnosed with. And we recognize that people differ in how much information they want to know. There are people that want to know everything about their diagnosis, and there are people that really feel like less is more. But it's such a complicated disease that everyone should know the basics of their diagnosis. And so we encourage people to not be afraid to ask, why am I having this test? What it, will it tell us? Why is this particular test right for my situation? And then as they go through the process, if it's not clear, to just ask, what, 
what is the kind of lung cancer that I've been diagnosed with, what is the stage, and what does that mean for me and my treatment? Um, we know that lung cancer patients get an awful lot of information. It can be very difficult remembering everything that they've been told, and there are certainly things that people can do, um, such as when questions uh, come up between appointments, they should write them down and bring them along to the appointment, and of course, don't forget to bring pen and pencil or pen and paper to record the answers. Uh, many people bring a support person to appointments to, to help remember what is said, and we've even talked to people who tape record the, their appointments so they can remember. Um, it can really help to get copies of test results and reports to f refer back to, and we also recommend that people get copies of their, their imaging scans so that they have them as well. Okay. Um, and, and really, if the team doesn't, if, if the person doesn't feel like the team is responsive to their attempts to understand, they might consider switching doctors or right. facilities if possible right. because these are such important decisions and having right. that information makes the, the person with lung cancer a more active participant in their right. care and that so, leads them to informed decision making. Right. So we're really talking about how, how you can become an educated and empowered patient and really be a part of these decisions and, un, and, and understanding what can be a very, you know, some very complex issues. Absolutely. Um, frankly speaking about cancer, we're talking today about lung cancer. We've got the sixth edition uh, of our lung cancer booklet uh, uh, coming out it's, uh, today. It's free. It's available to you at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and ten meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the cancer support community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Amgen, Celgene, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. I'm Kim Siebel, though. Today I'm joined by Dr. Nasser Hanna. Dr. Hanna is a medical oncologist at Indiana University with a focus on lung cancer research. And Maureen Rigney, the Director of Community and Support Services at the Lung Cancer Alliance. Uh, the Cancer Support Community is launching, frankly speaking, about cancer, lung cancer, uh, with its uh, sixth edition. As part of our launch, we're bringing in lung cancer experts today to discuss the disease and some of the highlighted topics of the book. Um, we began the show uh, talking about how somebody's diagnosed with cancer, and I just have a couple of follow-up questions um, on that before we shift to some of the um, advances in treatment. Dr. Hanna, in the first segment, you talked about this um, uh, 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 large trial that was done um, in, in terms of screening folks who were at high risk with a chest X-ray versus a CT. Um, you said that these were folks who were at a higher risk, who were older, who were heavy smokers. We're get, you know, we've got 77 million baby boomers out there, and we're starting to get a lot of questions questions from folks who are otherwise healthy, but, you know, sort of say, you know, I smoked in college, I smoked in my 20s, I haven't smoked for decades, um, but I'm concerned, I'm worried about lung cancer. Should I get some kind of screening for lung cancer? How should I be engaging my, you know, primary care doctor um, in, in that conversation? As you sort of suggested, you know, we don't, have, we don't have screening guidelines like, you know, women should go every year and get their mammogram at a certain age. We don't have those kinds of standard annual screening guidelines for folks when it comes to lung cancer. So how do folks get informed so that they can make the right decisions about screening and preventative health? Yeah, well, it's very important to consider screening in high-risk groups. If you're in a low-risk group, they're more likely to be errors made on a screening study. You're more likely to be potentially harmed by finding things that really aren't uh, um, cancer, but yet you get further workup for them. So unless you're in a high-risk group as defined by how these clinical trials define them, you really shouldn't be uh, looking to get these screening studies for the sake of of getting screening studies. I would say, though, that uh, anybody who has smoked has put themselves at some increased risk for cancer. The key, though, to developing cancer tends to be a long exposure uh, to Mm -hmm. smoking. So you can get a a genetic mutation from just smoking a single pack of cigarettes, but that's unlikely to cause cancer. It's usually many mutations that occur over years and years because you've been a longtime smoker. 
Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit further, Dr. Hannah, about the about some of the um, treatment advances that we're we're hearing about. So we're hearing a lot today about tumor markers in lung cancer. Can you explain what what tumor markers are, how they're used, and why they're important in diagnosing and treating lung cancer? Uh, sure. You know, it wasn't very long ago where uh, having a diagnosis of lung cancer meant a one-size-fits-all type of treatment plan. Uh, but now we understand that certain cancers are susceptible to different treatments based upon some gene markers. And so what we can do now, and this is particularly true for adenocarcinoma, uh, if you get a patient's biopsy, you can sequence their genes to look at which genes are abnormal. And we've discovered that there are two genes, and there will be many more discovered, but there are at least two genes that, if they're abnormal, uh, will respond favorably to new targeted therapy. One of these genes is called the EGFR gene, and if the gene is mutated, uh, the drug erlotinib is actually very, very active. The other gene is called the ALK gene, and we can do some sophisticated molecular studies to determine if you have an abnormality in that gene. And if you do, you may respond to a new targeted therapy called crizotinib. I have no doubt that there will be other molecular targets that are identified. At this point, those are the two most uh, well-defined. So is, so is everybody who's diagnosed with lung cancer, does everybody get tested for these genes and these markers? Not necessarily. The, these two particular genes are very uncommonly found in the other types of lung cancer other than adenocarcinoma. Having said that, the most common, uh, one of the most common subtypes called squamous cell cancer is being heavily studied. And uh, there are some new markers that are being identified in patients with squamous cell cancer. Nothing's been validated yet. These are undergoing uh, further research, but we think there will be more targets not only for adenocarcinoma, but we also think for squamous cell carcinoma, hopefully soon. And so, so Dr. Hanna, I mean, is this the, uh, you know, it sounds a little like sci-fi, but I mean, is this the future of, of cancer treatment, being able to test uh, folks for certain uh, predispositions, for expressing certain genes, for showing up with these markers and being able to kind of tailor their treatment according to what we're seeing through some of this testing? I think that's part of it. I think it will be complementary to the other things that we're doing. These lung cancers are such complicated tumors that there's not going to be, you know, one magic bullet for every tumor. And we're still going to need to incorporate surgery and radiation and the use of chemotherapy. But there certainly are going to be some subpopulations of patients who are going to have more personalized medicine, perhaps added to that standard therapy or instead of that standard therapy. Uh, but lung cancer is a very complicated disease with lots and lots of genetic errors. And so uh, I think it's going to be a combination of some of the older strategies with some of the newer strategies. So, Maureen, so, uh, you know, as we talk about the, you know, this idea of personalized medicine, targeted therapies, um, you know, how does that change the game in terms of being an educated and empowered patient, knowing kind of what questions you should ask, what tests you should have? I mean, is this, is this making things easier? Is it making things more complicated or, or <laughs> both when it comes to being, a, you know, a, a cancer patient today? 
Yeah, yeah it, it absolutely makes it uh, more complicated, and, it, and it's... Um, it's hard to it's hard for patients to understand if if they're in this certain group or in that certain group and should they have their tumors tested and what does that mean and what does it mean if they're if they don't have some of the the biomarkers that that have been identified um, so it definitely can can complicate things although for those um, who are in those groups where, with the targeted where the targeted therapies are effective that you know obviously means more treatment options and more hope and, and hopefully a, a better survival. Kim, so if I can just add to that, yes, I, I, I can tell you that for some of our patients, uh, some of these new targeted drugs have, have simply been uh, just an amazing life-changing experience for them. And uh, they, they're devastated by the news of having a metastatic lung cancer. And, and then, you know, they have all the concerns about receiving chemotherapy and the concerns about their own mortality, the side effects of treatment and what to expect. And for some of these patients, when you identify these molecular targets and prescribe them these oral medicines, uh, they, they can do so wonderfully well. Not everybody, but, but many do wonderfully well. And the hope is that you don't just respond for a few months, but that you respond for years and years. And I can tell you in my personal practice, I have patients who have been responding for many years with these therapies. And, and so for some people, it can be uh, absolutely dramatic. We, we just need to expand the pool of people for whom it's dramatic. And so, so how do we, how do we, Dr. Hanna, um, you know, discuss this, you know, with patients? How do you explain to a patient, for example, that we have certain tests for you that you may uh, respond more to this therapy? How do you manage their expectations around that? I mean, I imagine it's a bit of a roller coaster as they're going through the biopsy and through the uh, some of the testing process that you're describing. You know, that's a very hard question to answer because everybody's circumstance is so different. Yeah. Everybody brings a, a different perspective to the diagnosis. There are such differences in, in our patients with respect to where they are in their lives, uh, whether they've been uh, healthy previously or had other medical problems. Uh, but you're right, you do have to set expectations and you can't give false hope, but you also have to understand that there are things out there that, that are making a big difference. And when I tell my patients, uh, and this is true for chemotherapy as well, when I tell my patients that uh, the reason why I'm treating them is not because I think they're going to potentially get a small benefit, which is possible, they may even get no benefit, which is possible. But the enthusiasm to treat is because some people get a significant and prolonged benefit. And, and that's the hope that I try to instill in my patients who, who may be feeling hopeless at the moment. And Dr. Hanna, are we seeing, uh, you know, a, a better, more tolerable side effects with some of these uh, new therapies? Is, is that uh, contributing to an improved quality of life for these patients? Absolutely. The, the basic difference between these targeted therapies and our standard therapies is that the targeted therapies spare many more of the normal cells. So uh, they frequently don't cause hair loss or nausea or lowering the white blood cell count. That doesn't mean they're not without side effects, but not uh, the same side effects. And, and usually the patients uh, 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 sure do appreciate uh, those medicines a lot more than the chemotherapy. 
They're also taken orally, so they can take it at home without getting hooked up to IVs and, and spending some valuable time, you know, away from their family and their friends. It's always much nicer to take these medicines orally. And, and is this idea, Dr. Hanna, of these tumor markers and personalized medicine? And I mean, are these the are these the great breakthroughs that we should expect be expecting in lung cancer treatment, or are there other things on the horizon that we should keep our eye on? There will be more breakthroughs. There will be more uh, tumor markers for which there are selective targeted therapies. We've already discovered another one called an ROS1 gene abnormality, and that appears to respond well to crizotinib. There's another gene called the RET gene. Uh, for squamous cell, there's something called the FGF gene. So we're, we're certainly going to see more. I do want to place this in perspective, though, and, and uh, while it is true that many people with lung cancer have never smoked, and certainly some are a victim of secondhand smoke, occupational exposures like asbestos, sometimes even home exposures like radon, that is all true. Having said that, 90% of lung cancer diagnoses are still intimately tied with heavy smoking exposures. And so the real future to reducing the suffering and death from lung cancer will come from our collective will to reduce smoking. Well, I think that's a, I think that's a good point, uh, a, a good point to make. And um, you know, we're going to go to the break here in, um, uh, in, in just a minute. But Dr. Hannah, just a quick question. And I know Maureen, in the next segment, we really want to talk about social and emotional considerations and stigma around a lung cancer diagnosis. But just quickly, um, uh, Dr. Hannah, if, if, if a person has smoked for a long time and they stop smoking today, does that decrease their risk of lung cancer? Absolutely. It's the best thing that you can do. And I have patients who tell me, but doc, I've smoked for 30 years. Right. Well, you've smoked for 30 years and today's the day you'll stop smoking. Not only do you significantly reduce your risk of lung cancer, but a whole host of other cancers, but you also improve your heart function and mm-hmm. your lung function. There are so many very positive effects of, re, of, of quitting mm-hmm. smoking, even if you've smoked many years. Many years. Okay. I think that's really an important point to make because I think people have a, uh, you know, misconception about that. So, you know, perhaps today is the day that you want to stop smoking. And I know we'll, uh, you know, talk about some of the strategies around that and, and uh, we'll look to point folks to some resources uh, around that as well. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking about lung cancer uh, today with two terrific guests. Don't go away. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here, and we will be right back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer care, 
the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, the Cancer Support Community is launching our newest edition of our Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer uh, booklet. This is the sixth edition of this program on lung cancer. We've been talking with our guests, Dr. Nasser, Hannah, and Maureen Rigney. Uh, today's show is being brought to you in part by Insight and uh, Lilly Oncology. I'm Kim Tebaldo. So far, we've, we've covered a good uh, overview of lung cancer, looked at some of the new treatments and therapies uh, for the disease. But I want to I talk about the uh, social and emotional issues that uh, folks face uh, with a lung cancer diagnosis. Maureen, I want to turn to you. I know you've been with the Lung Cancer Alliance for a number of years. I know you're a social worker by background and training. Um, so, so obviously any cancer um, diagnosis is a devastating uh, diagnosis, but we know there are some particularly unique issues surrounding a lung cancer uh, a diagnosis, I think because of some of the stigma that's attached to that, some of the blame uh, that, that comes along with that. And also, you know, we do see a high mortality rate in folks who are diagnosed um, with lung cancer. So how do you counsel folks in that instance? What are some of the ways that you help patients deal with a lung cancer um, diagnosis and, and, and address some of the concerns that you hear from patients and families? Sure. Um, and as you might expect, the, the requests for help that we get every day really run the, the whole spectrum of, of the lung cancer experience before, during, and after diagnosis, people who need information and support and, and help uh, understanding how to um, manage side effects, finding a clinical trial, coping emotionally, referrals for things like financial assistance. I think that, um, you know, for some, some things you are potentially 
um, you might be able to anticipate there's an issue. Financial problems, we get a lot of calls from people who are struggling financially. Uh, lung cancer is an expensive uh, disease to treat. There are deductibles, Medicaid can co-pays, co-insurance, even for people who have insurance. And newer medications are very expensive. And so, you know, these systems that they're, they have to, to, to navigate can be daunting. Um, and so we always encourage people to try to get a handle on the financial aspect of things the best they can um, before they get out of hand. And that, you know, hopefully there's a social worker or a patient navigator at a cancer center where they go that can be a, a great resource. Uh, people can also learn to anticipate, um, you know, side effects that might be expected from whatever treatment they're going to have. But the emotional aspects of things is, is something that's not as easy to predict. Uh, many people find that being diagnosed with lung cancer is the most difficult thing they've ever confronted and, and how we just never know how we're going to react in that kind of situation. So um, one of the, the I think the most helpful things that we do is really help people to figure out how to cope with those emotions. And sometimes that's finding professional services such as therapy. Sometimes they need medications. Um, but oftentimes helping them to connect with other lung cancer survivors who will really appreciate what they're going through or, or and, and because they're either doing it themselves or have done it in the past. Um, so we talk to people all the time who don't even realize that there are lung cancer survivors in the world um, or if they know that there are, they've never met one. And so fostering that connection with the survivors, and that can be through an in-person support group, um, through an online support group, or by telephone, can really change that person's entire outlook. And hearing the the survivors' um, perspectives and experience and getting guidance on what they might face is, is important, but probably the most critical thing about talking with a survivor is that they give real hope, and, and that's tangible hope. Um, you know, they, the, the message is, you know, you know you're not alone, we understand, and and there really are people in both in an, in the lung cancer you know sphere and general cancer sphere professionals and peers who help who understand and can help them get through it. So, Maureen, tell tell our listeners just take a moment to tell our listeners about your organization, about Lung Cancer Alliance, and and you know where and how folks can connect with you and what kind of services they can expect. Sure. Um, so we're a national, the only national nonprofit that uh, is dedicated to providing information, support, and advocacy to people living with cancer and those at risk for the disease because we're also very concerned about um, getting those at high risk screened so that we can save lives immediately. Um, and, of course, uh, as as this kind of organization, we raise awareness through different media campaigns. We've got a Team Lung Love Endurance Training Program. We have a, a national Shine a Light on Lung Cancer uh, vigil every every November. Um, on the advocacy side, we've secured multiple millions of public health do- research dollars for lung cancer. Uh, just gained passage of the recalcitrant sorry recalcitrant uh, cancer research act, and that really is the first time that. Uh, lung cancer has been elevated to the public health priority that it should be and should help um, increase research and and really move the disease forward. Um, And we also have what we call the National Framework for Excellence in Lung Cancer Screening and Continuum of Care, which really helps people identify what to look for in a screening center and where to go for responsible screening. Um, On the support side, we do have a toll-free information line. That's 800-298-2436. We talk to hundreds of people a month about everything related to cancer, um, people who are you know, going through the, the screening process, those diagnosed, to caregivers helping um, their loved ones get through the process. 
our website is great. We, um, I'd like to highlight that we've got a list of the lung cancer support uh, groups across the country, and we also have a cancer centers list. We recommend um, lung cancer programs that have been approved by the National Cancer Institute or accredited by the Commission on Cancer. Um, we've also always been dedicated to making the process of joining a clinical trial easier. And so we've got a clinical trial matching service, mm-hmm. and that allows people to connect um, with a clinical trial navigator through a toll-free line. Um, okay. And then, of course, we provide information packets uh, to both uh, patients and caregivers and, mm-hmm. and professionals um, to distribute. Um, in addition, we work with uh, top qualitative researchers in the U.S. and Canada. We're working on a needs assessment of the lung cancer community and um, working to expand the body of knowledge on lung cancer stigma and its effects, but our social support programs are, are really terrific. We've got Lung Love Link, that's the online support community. Um, we've been running a couple telephone support groups, which are excellent because there really isn't enough in-person uh, mm-hmm. lung cancer-specific support across the country. Mm-hmm. And then we have our Phone Buddy program, which is a one-on-one match, and that's usually uh, with people who are going through treatment. We match them with a survivor. We have an amazing database. We have many, many long-term survivors of both of all types, but I'd like to stress that we do have many survivors who um, have survived advanced non-small cell uh, lung cancer and small cell. So basically, uh, yeah. we just wake up every day thinking, what can we do to further the cause of lung cancer right. and get you know, the help that yeah. people need? I think it's, one, it's wonderful, and we're so happy to be a partner with you. Um, Absolutely. Um, Dr. Hannah, I, I just before we go to the break, I want to get to this, to this issue around stigma. Um, and, you know, kind of what that means, stigma and shame. And, and um, you know, we, we hear lung cancer, uh, th- this issue of, of, well, you know, I brought this on myself. You know, I've been smoking for all these years and I, I get lung cancer. Maybe that means I don't have the right to, to get the care and the treatment, the right to the su- same support programs that other folks with cancer have. You know, how, how, how do we as a society, society address that uh, stigma and help to destigmatize a diagnosis of lung cancer? I'm glad you asked that question. It's a it's a tremendously uh, big problem because there is a social stigma, and uh, the person with lung cancer does oftentimes feel guilt and shame. They oftentimes blame themselves, and it is somewhat unique to those who have other forms of cancer, even though there are uh, risk factors for other cancers. It, it does seem to be uh, uh, felt especially hard by those who have lung cancer. I think one of the, the ways to discuss this is, first of all, some education that uh, 60% of people with a diagnosis of lung cancer are not smoking. They may have smoked in their past. Maybe they were a never smoker, but they're not smoking now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that most people don't have that understanding and, and that perception. Secondly, uh, I think advocacy and support groups are huge in removing the stigma. It was not very long ago where women with breast cancer felt shame and they would not go see their doctors and they were scared and nervous about a lump. But something wonderful that's happened from the breast cancer advocacy has been that that shame has, has, has been reduced and women now uh, certainly uh, understand breast health and, and, and they go get their mammograms and that has clearly saved lives. And so I do think similar advocacy efforts like that will be very, very important. But it's important to acknowledge that uh, there's a tremendous amount of depression, guilt, and shame in patients who have a lung cancer diagnosis. And a healthcare worker, um, a healthcare provider such as myself, needs to recognize that 
and to address those emotional concerns aggressively. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Dr. Han. I, I heard a patient once say they came to one of our centers uh, for for a, for a support group and for some different support programs. They said, you know, this is the first place I came where nobody asked me if I was a smoker. Yeah. That I was a I was a person with cancer, just like other people with cancer, and I had the same right to support services, to treatment, to side effect management, and all those things. Um, and so I do think it's important that we all, you know, commit to that. Um, Maureen, I've only got a quick minute until the break, but I know a lot of workplaces have smoking cessation programs. I know it's something that folks can talk to their primary care doctor uh, about. Other suggestions or resources, you know, we're, we're we're in January. Folks are, you know, we've got New Year's resolutions happening. Other places uh, where folks can go to understand how they can pursue um, their interest in in stopping smoking? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's important for people who are smoking and struggling to quit to understand that, unfortunately, it it does generally take several attempts so that they shouldn't get discouraged and and give up. There are a variety of ways to do it. We have the 800 quit lines. A person can call uh, 1-800-QUIT-NOW and talk to somebody on the phone uh, from anywhere in the country. There are online resources such as Become an X. It just there are a lot of different ways uh, that, that one way might work for somebody that doesn't work for another. And we also know from research that a combination of medications and counseling um, have the best results as far as smoking cessation go. It's, it's great. It's great information. Um, and, uh, you know, again, if this is something that you are interested in, we want to encourage folks and let folks know that there are resources uh, out there um, to uh, to help you quit. And no matter how long you've been smoking, as Dr. Hannah said to us, you know, if today's the day you're ready to do that, it's going uh, to have a positive impact on your health uh, overall, your risk of lung cancer, other cancers, um, and, and, you know, decrease your risk of other uh, illnesses and, and, and health problems. So I just think it's also important to mention that. If that's something that, that folks are interested in. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking today about lung cancer and our new booklet that we've uh, released, the sixth edition of our Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer booklet, which is available free to anyone who would like it. You can download it at cancersupportcommunity.org, or if you want us to mail you a copy, you can also sign up for that on our website, and we're happy to ship that out to you free of charge uh, right away. So take a peek at the website and order that if we can if we can send that on to you. Uh, I am Kim Tebaldo, your host. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming up to the end of our show, but don't go away. We have a couple of good uh, tips and some information to provide to our listeners, so please uh, uh, hang in a few more minutes, and, and we will be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com 
or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Onyx Pharmaceuticals and Millennium. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today I'm joined by Dr. Nasser Hanna, a medical oncologist at Indiana University, and Maureen Rigney from the Lung Cancer Alliance. We've covered a lot, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the waterfront today on lung cancer. We talked about prevention, uh, screening, treatment, social and emotional challenges, stigma. Um, in, in our kind of final a few minutes uh, together today, I want to give our guests time to share their their, uh, their sort of big picture conclusions on this. Where the future of the disease is headed, and also just remind folks of where they can access um, some of the wonderful free resources that are out there for um, people with lung cancer and for their family members um, and, and loved ones. Um, Dr. Han, I, I think we all believe in the importance of, uh, of, of cancer research. I think uh, so much of what you have shared today is, is probably heartening to those who are listening, know, knowing that someone can be diagnosed with lung cancer and potentially live for, for many months or even years, um, to know that we're doing a better job of being able to target our therapy. We're, you know, reducing some of the, some of the rougher side effects that can come along with, um, uh, uh, with cancer treatment. So I think that folks are, are probably happy to hear some of that good news. But what do you see in the future for, for lung cancer uh, research, lung cancer treatment? What are the next steps and how can folks get involved um, and, you know, be a part of advancing the science and the medicine? Uh, that is such a great topic, and I'm, I'm always happy to talk about research because research is really the only way forward uh, in making progress. And I can tell you that uh, every year we learn something new, and progress is made every year, which means those breakthrough treatments that you're going to be hearing about three and four years from now are actually available today. They're available today on clinical trials. The newer, better therapies of tomorrow are available today. 
And the study of lung cancer really mirrors that of, of cancer in general. It's understanding what makes a normal cell a cancer cell. It's understanding the process of that cancer cell replicating and that cancer cell avoiding a way uh, of, of dying off. It's understanding how that cancer cell can spread and cause symptoms. And so we understand some of the molecular concepts behind this, uh, but uh, the research continues. And when patients are participating in clinical research today, it oftentimes involves some novel piece of information that was learned in a laboratory, supported by a grant, funded by an agency, uh, or perhaps funded by an advocacy group. And right now, only about 3 or 4% of people with cancer uh, are participating in clinical trials, and we need to bump that number up. And part of bumping that number up means increasing access to clinical trials, paying for clinical trials, and encouraging our patients who are eligible for clinical trials to participate in that research. It may be the life-saving cure for them, and if it's not, we'll learn something, and there, there's no doubt that will help somebody else. Well, I think that's a great, great summary um, of clinical trials. I know, you know, this is, it sometimes can, folks think, oh, gosh, it's a, you know, it's a dirty word. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I, I think that, that we hear sometimes that folks think if they go into a clinical trial, they could be in a, a placebo arm of a trial. We try to educate folks on the fact that they're not going to get a placebo in a cancer treatment trial. As you're saying, Dr. Hannah, they're either going to get the current standard of care or the standard of care plus, which is probably going to be the future standard of care. Um, and and uh, just to educate folks about that. And, and that, that really when we look at survey data and other, you know, consumer data about folks who have participated in clinical trials, that they've had a very positive experience and have felt very kind of well cared for, um, you know, through that clinical trials process. Maureen, you mentioned in our last segment that you um, have a clinical trials matching service uh, for patients if they, if they would like to explore whether there might be a clinical trial that's right for them. Obviously, it's something we want them to encourage to discuss with their doctors, but, but what, are, what are you doing to educate patients about trials and help? them understand what trials might be out there for them. Oh, absolutely. And we certainly get calls uh, from people that know that they want to participate. Um, we always suggest that when we're talking about treatment options. And I think the, the main thing is to make it as easy as possible. And so the clinical trial matching service, it's a toll-free information line, and they actually talk with a person who will walk them through the process. And then they will get the um, uh, the trials that they may be eligible for either emailed or sent to them by mail so that they can take them along to talk with their doctor about their their options. Um, so certainly we encourage it at, at all levels every time we talk about, you know, treatment options. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I, I think it's important for folks to have this conversation early on with their healthcare Absolutely. team. And yeah, and to say, look, you know, might there be a clinical trial that's right for me? I, I, one of the things that um, we find is that sometimes folks don't initiate that conversation early on, and they might hear about a trial, you know, kind of down the road a little bit, and they find out because they've already started treatment on a particular treatment that they now don't qualify for right, that trial. Right. And, and they say, yeah, gosh, and, I wish yeah. I had known about this earlier in the diagnosis. 
Yeah, and what we recommend is certainly at the beginning and then at every time a treatment decision needs to be made, yeah. uh, it, they should check. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's great advice, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, Dr. Hanna was saying that, you know, we've got 3 to 4% of these adult patients participating in these trials, and, I, you know, we're, we're certainly not saying, Dr. Hanna, that there's going to be a trial uh, for everybody, but we certainly know that a lot more than 3 or 4% of these patients could potentially qualify for a trial. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we want to, you know, encourage folks to engage in this conversation and um, to talk to their doctor to, to look at some of these resources through Lung Cancer Alliance and um, explore whether there might be a trial that's right for you because that is how we are going to advance the science, advance the medicine uh, uh, for this care. We are quickly coming to the conclusion um, of our show. I'm just going to ask uh, each of you for your kind of final word or two of advice to our listeners if they've been diagnosed with lung cancer, if they're a loved one, a family member of someone diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. Maureen, just a, one or two quick tips for our listeners today? Sure. I'd just like to tell people who have been diagnosed and their family members that there is hope, that the understanding of lung cancer is evolving, and please know that there are dedicated researchers, clinicians, advocates who care about lung cancer and about you and are working on your behalf. Don't be afraid to reach out for help because you're not alone. And and for the family members, I just say to be kind, be supportive, be active, and, and get involved. Excellent. Great great advice and, and very hopeful. Um, Dr. Hanna? I would just say that we're making progress. Um, we're making progress with respect to screening, uh, with respect to prevention, with respect to uh, treatment, and, and really importantly, progress in understanding the underlying biology of the cancer. And it's when you understand the opponent that you're facing that you can begin to defeat them. In years past, we didn't understand it very well. We're understanding it more now. Well, I think that's uh, you know great advice for our listeners. Um, and Maureen, just quickly, your uh, your your uh, website or a number where folks can reach Lung Cancer Alliance to get connected to you. Sure. The website is lungcanceralliance.org, and our toll-free information line is eight hundred. Two nine eight two four three six. And thank you. Terrific, and we would encourage folks to uh, reach out to the Lung Cancer Alliance. I want to thank both Dr. Hannah and Maureen for joining us uh, today and sharing this great uh, information. You've both been such wonderful partners and supporters of, of the cancer support community, and we're very grateful for that and, and, and for your partnership and for the uh, incredible information that you're sharing uh, with our listeners. A lot, of, a lot of great, useful information, up-to-date information and resources uh, for our listeners on lung cancer. As I mentioned earlier in the show, the cancer support community is launching uh, today, frankly speaking, about uh, cancer, our new new booklet on lung cancer. This new version uh, features detailed and comprehensive information on understanding lung cancer, making informed treatment decisions, side effect management, facing the social and emotional challenges of a diagnosis and survivorship issues. Um, the book was developed in collaboration with the Lung Cancer Alliance and with the American Lung Association. It's available for free for anyone who would like a copy of it. You can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You can download it directly, instantaneously, right this minute, Um, or if you'd like for us to send you a hard uh, copy of the booklet, you can order it online on that website uh, today, and we will put it right in the mail to you, or if um, you want to give us a call and ask that we send that to you, our toll-free line is 888 793 
9355. As I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, the cancer support community provides a multitude of in-person, online, telephone um, support uh, to people with lung cancer and with all cancers uh, and to the family members of people with cancer. We've got over 50 beautiful centers around the country where we provide support groups, education, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction. Last year, we provided over $40 million in free services to patients and families. Uh, We hope that you'll come and visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, or if you want to find one of our locations, they're all listed on that website, or you can call our toll-free helpline, 888-793-9355. Also, on that helpline, if you just want to speak to a a licensed uh, counselor about your diagnosis, if you're struggling, have questions about resources and other ways that you want to get plugged into the services that are out there, give us a call. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.